Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 48, Amy Barnett, and today it's August 1st, 2023. In this episode, Amy Barnett, a hairstylist from Chicago, Illinois. Amy got prescribed several benzodiazepines 20 years ago for anxiety. She had been taking Valium when needed. After that prescription, she was prescribed Klonopin, Xanax, and other drugs. Amy shares a story of underlying trauma and the many traumas and gaslighting she endured when getting ill on benzos by many doctors. Amy managed to come off of benzodiazepines in 2015. Amy was featured in Lisa Ling's The Benzo Crisis. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Benzo Tired. Hi, Naftal. Thanks for having me. So glad that you're on. So could you share with the audience where your benzo story begins? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so my benzo story began when I was 30. So 20 years ago, I had had an anaphylactic reaction to penicillin. And that's where the airway closes. It was pretty traumatic. And um, unbeknownst to me at that time, I had always been an anxious person. But I didn't know that my actual diagnosis was PTSD. So anything that happens is kind of life-threatening like that, um, re it like reignited this PTSD that I didn't even know I had. So right after this anaphylactic episode, I think um, I've always had some kind of like autoimmune something going on in my body that no one's ever really been able to identify until somewhat recently. So anytime I also had like a big physical thing happen to my body, I would also kind of start to spin out neurologically and everything was just always blamed on anxiety. Right. And if you have any sort of anxiety, depression, even if it's mild, um, you're always just looked at as somewhat hysterical. So especially as women, I feel like women get that even more often. Mm -hmm. So um, I was going, I was, speed dating doctors, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I had a lot of like tingling, numbness, just weird shit happening in my body. Uh -huh. And it was, as somebody should have just said, your body took a major blow. It might take a few weeks to get better. That probably would have helped. But instead, you know, you just get kind of pushed through the medical system. So uh, we better test for this. We better test for that. Next thing you know, I'm getting tested for MS. Um, so I was a nervous wreck. Uh, nine months into that process, I went to a rheumatologist and that rheumatologist was like, could be rheumatoid arthritis. It could be, you know, they're just rattling off all this scary shit. Right. Um, in the end of that testing, he was like, I think you just kind of need to relax. You're kind of borderline on a couple autoimmune things, but the treatment would be worse than how you feel. So let me just give you some Valium. It'll be a temporary fix. He gave me 30 days worth. Um, I was terrified of it because the anaphylactic reaction was to a drug. Right. So I was like terrified of pills. I wish I would have stayed <laughs> in that mindset, but I did start taking it a little bit and it did kind of help relax. It uh, helped me relax. What was the dose that you got prescribed initially? He 
gave me a five milligram Valium. So that was my very first introduction to a benzo. Right. And oddly enough, it would be where I ended up too. But um, so I would break those in half and just kind of take them here and there as needed. But when you have PTSD, it's always needed. So I luckily I just was afraid of medications. I didn't take it all that often. I was more or less taking it to help me sleep and when I would drive because driving was, um, I don't know why I would just experience a lot of anxiety. I think it was just, you know, the motion, a lot of people experience it in the car. So um, I had that 30 day prescription. It probably took me about 90 days to use it. And then I started to feel better. I mellowed out. Honestly, I was meditating. I was running. I was going to acupuncture. So um, I was giving credit to the drug. And what also probably really helped even more was that I had changed my lifestyle. Um, so I was feeling a lot better. A bunch of time went by. What I did start to notice after that prescription was done is that I was having crawling sensations in my skin. Um, my eyes felt funny. I felt like I couldn't focus my eyes. Was it like correctly. immediately after like the, the last dose that you took or did it take a while for those symptoms to develop? It, no, it was almost immediately after. Okay. So now looking back and now in hindsight, having gone through full-blown benzo withdrawal, I, I'm pretty sure that I was just going through tolerance withdrawal, like in between doses. Um, so a little bit of time went by, I became convinced because of what I was being told by doctors, that this was something that was going to turn into some catastrophic autoimmune disease. Because I had already been on that path. And now I'm having more side effects or more uh, symptoms. And now looking back, it's so obvious to me that it was the drug. But we can actually say then that like one box, so 30 tablets of five milligrams of Valium already caused this for you. Absolutely. Oh my God. Okay, sorry, go on, yeah. No, it's okay. And as you know, I, what I've learned along this journey is that methylation is such an important thing to know about your body, but it's still kind of, on the up and up, you know, it's up and coming as far as common knowledge. So it does take some genetic testing. But what I now know is that everybody methylates differently. So depending on how your body processes things is going to determine your sensitivity to a drug, how long it's in your system, Definitely. how many side effects you get. And I am a really poor methylator. So it makes sense that this would happen to me. I always had drug sensitivities. What happened to me with benzos, I wanna make very clear, is not a sensitivity, not a reaction, and not an allergic response. What happened to me is what could happen to anybody. Mm, you got poisoned. <laughs> you got poisoned. I got poisoned, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, so, um, you know, on and off, it was then, it was, I was just on a, on it for a little while. A doctor would give me a prescription here and there. I would be on it for a couple months. I would seem to feel better. I'd get off of it for a couple months. So, I mean, 
kindled as fuck, like so kindled just from going on and off. Um, the next prescription I got after that initial Valium one was for Clonopin. And this was a GP who um, I went to and was just saying, I'm having some trouble sleeping. I'm having a little more anxiety. So she gives me Clonopin, also a short-lived um, prescription. That one, I felt really weird on Clonopin. Um, and it wasn't the only time I was on it. I was on and off all of these poisons for many years. Um, so Clonopin, I, you know, same thing kind of helps me calm down. But what I would notice at that time, and again, I'm just being told by doctors, and I, at that point, I still really trusted the medical community, was that these new symptoms were something else, or they're just your original anxiety. Sorry. So during this time, um, while you're on clonopin and Valium, and, and initially you felt a little bit better, you had done some lifestyle changes, but were you still like on the hunt for diagnoses or something that could be possibly wrong with you? Only when I would get off of the prescription, now looking back, only when I would get off the prescription and all these symptoms would kick up. Right. And then I'd be like, oh no, something's really wrong. And then this is just how it works. You go to a GP, they can't figure it out. They send you to a specialist. They try to figure it out. Um, they send you to another specialist. So I really started to think like maybe maybe I'm just a hypochondriac. And that is kind of the label I started to receive. Um, you got gaslighted. I got gaslit to the nth degree. And, oh and as much as I want to talk about my story, I'd really like to talk about gaslighting and, and how and why this continues to happen and how sure. it got to this point. And, and um, one side note, I'm thinking you said this, your first prescription was like 20 years ago. So I mean, internet wasn't probably a big thing yet. Um, maybe the accessibility to the Ashton manual wasn't there. So there weren't like a lot of resources for you to tap into either. No, and it really took years for this to unfold. So wow. just to speed up my story, because um, it's not much different than your own or most people who come on. Um, it was just on and off for seven years. And then I got pregnant with my son and I got off. I just was like, okay, I'm not taking any psych meds. Um, so went through my whole pregnancy. I, I did notice when I, cause it was basically a cold turkey, but I didn't think of it. Like the, those terms weren't even in my vocabulary. They weren't even on my radar. Cause I just thought I'm taking a perfectly safe drug. I was taking it. Maybe I was taking a quarter to a half a milligram, maybe about three times a week. But oh eventually goodness. over the years, it was something I just always had in my medicine cabinet because I started to believe I can't get through life without these because I'm so panicky. Mm -hmm. And now looking back again, it's very clear that it actually increased anxiety and increased PTSD because my coping skills went way, way, way down. I wasn't even aware and, and as much resentment as I've had toward the medical and this, the psychological community, things like trauma, PTSD, CPTSD, 
are still relatively newer terms. Like nobody was saying that until about 10 years ago. So I didn't even really have the proper diagnosis. So I wasn't even getting the proper tools. Um, also in that time, in that seven years that I was on and off benzos, and I'd say about the last three and a half years of being prescribed them regularly, um, within that time, I was also on a fluoroquinolone. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but that is a class of uh, We've heard about it. Yeah, yes. it can it can really yes. cause symptoms. And yes. currently, as far as I've gathered, it's really um, we don't want people to use that when they're on benzos or tapering benzos. Yes, exactly. So that has its own zip code of chaos and horrific symptoms, and and suicide is also a side effect of that drug. And I also want to be really clear with my language when I say that about benzos and fluoroquinolones, when you have a suicidal response to this drug, it's not a bad reaction in your system. It is a side effect and that is noted in the fine print. So mm -hmm. it's very important that people are told that. Well, they're never told that. It's important that people learn that. I was also on a fluoroquinolone at least seven times in that time that I was regularly on a benzo. And I really believe within that time, I started to really decline. Um, so I was floxed and benzoed uh, and had no idea. I just was like, something's wrong, but I'm gonna make the best of feeling like shit all the time. Because because you, you get pregnant, you go through the pregnancy good, I suppose. And then yeah, you, have, great. Um, you, you have your son and, and then what happens? So um, I had my son, I had some postpartum anxiety. I didn't, because I my diagnosis is PTSD, it was early childhood, I am estranged from pretty much my whole family. So I didn't have a ton of support. I didn't have a good tribe. And, um, you know, I have this new baby and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of anxiety and just the hormones and everything shifting. But I really started to, it took about three months, started to balance out. I was nursing him, so I wasn't going to touch any drugs. And in my opinion, I was like, I'm good now. Uh -huh. I'm just going to figure out how to get through any anxiety that comes my way. Um, I was in regular counseling. And at the three month mark, my ex-husband laid some pretty heavy duty, traumatizing news on me. I'm just gonna say he was up to no good. Um, a lot of no good and it was oh. very traumatizing. And um, he was involved with some pretty scary people. And oh, wow. um, yeah, so now Intense. I'm trying to navigate that, like, I mean, full on PTSD, but I, it was full on trauma, what I was going through. I have this new baby. I have this partner who I'm like, who are you? You're leading a double life. Um, and that's when I just kind of, that's when I really started to struggle mentally and emotionally and physically aside from the drug. So I went back to the doctor just seeking a solution. Like I need to be able to sleep. 
I got to leave this guy, but I need to calm down. And in the past, I had this drug. And like a lot of people who get on benzos, we feel like it's a miracle drug to calm us down. So this time I go to a GP. I'm living in another area. I don't go back to my old doctor. Um, And the GP is like, I, I mean, they're just so clueless about about these prescriptions. I know. I, in my opinion, I don't think a GP should be allowed to prescribe a benzo. Everyone agrees with you. I'm, yeah. I'm Italia. I'm Italia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And now, no, again, knowing what I know, um, this this was per my own doctor that helped me taper. I said, "Why is that the case?" And he said, "If you think about a general practitioner." and all the different drug classes that they have to kind of know a little bit about, they get a six week course in those drugs. So that's antibiotics, psych meds, heart meds, allergy meds, skin, skin, you know, topical things like every drug. Think about what everybody goes to a GP for Mm -hmm. and they get six weeks in training. There's no training. I mean, um, I had a Dutchie on the show, um, and she did some research in this country and either GPs get like one hour of training in benzos or zero. Mm-hmm. So what they tend to do is to rely on the representative who comes into their office, gives them drug samples and tells them this is what this drug does. Unfortunately for all of us, those people are not pharmacists. They're not doctors. They're not licensed in any way. They are salespeople. Exactly. We have sales reps who stand to gain monetarily telling our doctors about what to put in our body. How Mm -hmm. and why that is legal is a good question. (laughs) It's legal because of lobbyists. Yeah. And it's it's about money. It's about capital. We are cannon fodder. For big pharma. Profit over people always. Absolutely. So um, So you go to this GP, do you like specifically ask for Valium or Clonopan or something else? I was like, I just need to calm down. I'm open to what at this point my son was um about whatever's gonna knock me out, I'll take it. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah, whatever's gonna help me function and get out of this funk and be the mother that I wanna be and and leave this guy, basically. Mm -hmm. Um I need I needed to tap back into my my brave parts of myself and I couldn't at that point. So I was like, if I got to do it chemically, whatever, just hook me up and hook me up. He did. Um, So he told me to take one milligram of Xanax three times a day. Goodness. So this is the third different kind of benzo that you you were prescribed. Oh, goodness. Oh, my God. So I did not. I was like, that's like enough for a freaking elephant. Um, I'm I was 120 pounds like there like there's no reason to take that much. So I was taking half a milligram twice a day. And I did that for about three months. And at the end of that, and I want to go back and also say the very first time I took a Xanax, I had a full blown panic attack. And I've since learned that if you take it under the therapeutic dose, and I think what I took was a quarter of a milligram under the therapeutic dose, it can actually have a paradoxical effect. Oh, I didn't even know that. So when someone has a paradoxical effect to a psych med, 
which I have a lot of paradoxical effects to a lot of drugs just because of my methylation. Um, when you have a paradoxical effect from something that's supposed to make you calm, serene, restful, the opposite of that is going to be agitated, aggressive, panicky, and sleepless. Right. And what we're finding now, if you, if you start to dig, and there are credible sources, and I'd be happy to send you some of the ones I've found, um, that a lot of mass shootings, as you know, in America, it's, it's really out of control. But there have been numerous mass shootings where people are either starting or getting off of very abruptly a psych med. There, I think there is some data about it, but not enough. I wonder mm -hmm. why, if, if they would look into that, I think the whole world would, would be shocked by how many of these people have dealt or are dealing with psych meds. Right. And I think what tends to happen is, and what happened to you and me and most people on your show and most people going through this is you are, because you're on a psych med, you're considered a psych patient. And everybody has an idea of a psych patient. It's like, mm. I'm, you know, I'm lucid. I'm having a, an intelligent conversation back and forth. I'm not some lady living under a bridge with a bird on my hat, you know? <laughs> no, yeah. not, but it's just, you know, the, the, general, the general gaslighting, I think that is one of the most traumatizing things, at least for me, but I'm pretty sure for a lot of people, that's the worst, you know? It's the worst and it's an abuse and it's a trauma that I would say rivals my original, the original trauma. And I have been in support groups and connected with women who have lost children, been in combat, have combat PTSD, who have been raped and have PTSD from that, who like me went through severe childhood abuse. And we all agree that going through this benzo nightmare and surviving it is just as bad if not worse than all of those things yeah. that i just listed so i mean it's it's really serious um the only reason i'm still here is for my son so thankfully i was able to survive it but um so yeah going back i was taking half a milligram twice a day that goes on for three months at the three month mark I'm like, I'm noticing if I miss, I was taking it at the same time every day. If I miss it in the morning, I'm having trouble driving to work. I can't concentrate. I'm sweaty. I'm chalking this up to anxiety. What was happening was I was going through withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Through, you know, I was having a little bit of withdrawal. Um, I decided, I was like, I don't like how this is making me feel. I'm going to get off of it. So at that three month mark, I just grit my teeth. I just cold turkeyed it, got off of it. And I'm thinking then I'm having like a rapid heart rate. I don't feel right. I'm kind of off balance. I can't really focus my vision. I'm like, is something wrong with my blood sugar? Um, I still hadn't left my ex-husband. Um, so that was, that was, it was calming down. He made some different choices in his life. And I was like, maybe this is livable, but while I feel like this, I can't, I can't leave. Um, so I go on um, 
to another GP. And I'm like, I'm not feeling right. Maybe it's hormonal. Maybe I just, you know, I, in my head, I'm like, I got to find some balance. I go to a GP. I tell her what's up. She doesn't, I'm like, it's ever since I got off this drug, of course, chalks it up to, this is your underlying anxiety. Uh, so she puts me on Prozac and I'm like, oh, All no. right, I'll try it. Oh my God. Um, so, so again, it's not being, um, you know, seeing that the benzos were the problem and you get yet another psych med. So I get on Prozac and I'm telling you, it was like otherworldly, out of body. Like, I, I can't even describe, I don't even want to say it was anxiety because I just, it wasn't like with anxiety, I tend to feel jittery and want to move my body and move around with this. I just felt frozen and collapsed and insular. And like, I just wanted to rock back and forth. Everything felt so scary. So needless to say that, and it was very chemical because it was within the first dose or second dose. I was feeling that way. And I hadn't been feeling that way prior to it. But they talk to you like you're a freaking idiot. So right. But I did you then decide? Did you decide not to to continue on with the Prozac? Yes, I called her. I'm like, this is not workable. I gave it a week. I'm just continuing to get worse, and I am 100% sleepless on this drug. So something happened where I had tried antidepressants in the past. And while I was sensitive, there were there was one that I had had a little bit of success with. After having my son, it was like my my sensitivity increased. And then I think also having been kindled so much, mm. my my neurologically, I was just so sensitized. Right. So um, so some of it is really the fault of the medication. So her solution was to get back on Xanax. Oh, wow. So she's like, just temporarily, let's get you back on, on a benzo. And she's like, I really believe this is your underlying trauma. This is, she still wasn't using the word trauma. It was still anxiety. This is your underlying anxiety. You've had a lot going on. You have a new baby. You're not happy in your marriage. This has got to be a chemical imbalance. Oh, wow. Yes. And mm. it's like if everything now, if everything that was going on in my life was circumstantial, how in the hell is that a chemical imbalance? And I know that I went to medicine for treatment and they're, you know, they're going to give me medicine. It's what they do. But I just think I'm a hairstylist. If somebody comes into me and they want like a big frizzy afro. That's not my jam. It's not what I do. It's <laughs> right. not what I'm good at. And I would tell someone I'm not your girl because I don't have the ego problem that I would need to try to conquer that. And the money isn't as important to me as that person's experience. Right. right. Sending them out the door with what they need and feeling good about themselves. So I don't see why a doctor wouldn't approach something the same way. Like, hey, I'm not your girl. It sounds like you have some trauma. Why don't you go see so-and-so and work it out? It's circumstantial. I did not develop a chemical imbalance in my body because of, yes, chemicals were going crazy because of the stress. 
Well, I, I always wonder why GPs, um, it seems to me like they their toolbox consists out of pills and me medicine or drugs or whatever. And maybe like, I guess this is kind of what you're saying, I think, is like, why won't they say like, hey, I think you need therapy. I don't think you right. need drugs, but you need therapy. Right. So I can help you, but I'll refer you to a therapist. Okay. So as much as I'm resentful toward doctors, they, they're humans and they went into medicine to hopefully try to help people. And that's just their toolbox. And some of it is ego. I think they've been put on a pedestal for many, many, many years. Mm. And the idea is you just listen to your doctor. They don't, a lot of them don't like to be challenged. So, um, you know, that's, that's my experience. I, their egos are big, huge. It's, mm -hmm. and it gets in the way of the Hippocratic oath, which is to first do no definitely. Harm. Definitely. So you were put on Xanax yet again. Yet again. I get on it. Um, I stop taking the Prozac. I calm down. A week goes by. I'm like, I'm good. I don't want any of this shit in my system anymore. I'm going to therapy. I'm good. I try to stop taking the Xanax, which again, I was taking half a milligram twice a day. I was okay. not even on a ton of it. Um, Stopped taking it one day. I was like, okay, I'm good. I feel stable. And in, I'm driving to work and I just start sobbing hysterically. Now, some of it is what's going on in my life. And some of it is this, in, I was like, this doesn't match what's happening. Because none of what was like, everything that had happened was months and months and months prior. By this time, you know, four or five months had gone by. I, and things were status quo and I was mostly happy in my life and my ex-husband and I were going to try to figure it out. So there wasn't anything in, you know, in the immediate that was traumatizing me. Right. So, um, I'm like, what is happening? Like unglued crying and sweating and feeling like I can't think straight, seeing spots, um, it was like the coloring was off in my vision. Everything almost seemed whitewashed. Uh, it was, I constantly felt like I was about to get the visual piece of a migraine and just sweating, sweating and nauseous and dry heaving. And that's when I was like, never in my life had anxiety ever felt like that. Uh huh. So, I don't piece it together immediately. I was like, something is very wrong. I call my therapist. She's like, I think you're having a nervous breakdown. Ugh. I think it's everything that's been happening. And I'm like, I think it's this drug because I take it and I'm fine. And then if I don't take it at the exact time every day, and then it, it, I was a wreck. So a couple weeks of this goes on and there's a lot of humiliation that goes on with it because it was not something I could hide. It was, it's not something you can be discreet about. It's just so big and it takes over physically, mentally, and it was very obvious. And I'm a hairstylist, so I'm shaking, sweating, 
people know and they're in your little bubble you know they're in your personal bubble people can feel your energy Mm -hmm. so and, and i'd be running in the back room in the break room like sitting on the floor rocking back and forth i was like what is happening it was like my thoughts even inside my head it was like my my brain was like a big long hallway and even my thoughts were like echoing and felt very far away from me so you know depersonalization derealization i didn't have those terms in my vocabulary yet but that's what was happening to me so i start googling it i start looking on the internet and i find holy shit every symptom i'm having what was the is, first thing that you found um i don't even remember the 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 source and eventually i came across benzo buddies and i was like this is what's happening wow yeah and then i shared it with a friend and that friend was like oh my god this happened to my sister you have to find the ashton manual so i find the ashton manual that sister got a hold of me she was like hey everything's gonna be okay you just have to find someone to help you taper get on valium and help you taper so now i'm just voraciously reading everything i can find about heather ashton and her work and this is what's keeping me sane because what also started to happen was I felt suicidal and that was new for me. I had never experienced that before and it was very much chemical and I love my child and I was on top of the world being his mom and I love my career. You know, it was not circumstantial. It was purely chemical. Right. Um, and again, I want to, iterate that that is a side effect of a benzo it is it is and and there are several famous people who committed suicide on benzos this goes on for a while and i decide like i'm gonna try to i did what you did where i'm gonna try to taper myself but i didn't realize how long the taper needed to be and i called a couple psychiatrists who then were like i don't even want you on a benzo saying i'm addicted to it and the word addiction was very yeah. triggering because i'm like i didn't party this shit up you're the yeah. fool that gave it to me yeah you and may if, if we're addicts which we're not then you're our dealers you're our drug dealers and you all should go to fucking jail but um no, that's my I opinion wish i would have had that i wish i would have <laughs> empowered myself with that but you're right. That is so right. You nailed it. So I know. It's like it's like white collar bullshit or whatever. Like they're yeah. the criminals, not us, but they um let us know that we're the criminals and we have all of these disorders and it must be yes. our mental health issues. No, yes. it's the fucking drug fucking me up. Right. But um yeah, I yes, get very there's passionate so about much that. shaming yeah. and blaming and saying the word addiction which i i get it but like if you're gonna be an intellectual giant and act like an intellectual giant then you should probably you know be an intellectual giant and and cover all the knowledge and know that there's a huge difference between dependency and addiction Right. There's a Definitely. huge difference. And what happened to me was dependency and never at any point. I mean, I went to the emergency room probably six times because I was like, I'm dying. My blood pressure went through the roof. Um, 
and no at no point was anyone like hey you've become dependent on this until my very last visit to an emergency room because i'm trying to taper and i would get and it would be over like two weeks um and the very last visit it was a male nurse who was taking my blood pressure and he said i used to work i used to work in a detox center and you are addicted to benzos I don't know if you know that. And I said, yeah, but it's not. I, I have 90 of them in my purse. I don't want to be on them. And he said, no, your body is addicted to them. He was still saying addicted, but he was like, you're going to have to probably just muscle through it. Oh, you wow. will get better. But, wow. So that was the only, um, it was very traumatizing again going to emergency rooms because everyone just treats you like you're nuts. And I was acting nuts, mm. but it was totally chemically induced. So, I, so you did, so you did instate the Valium to taper? Eventually after nine months of this chaos of back on back off, trying to taper, it was like, what was happening to you? I couldn't right. sleep. I was losing my mind and I was like desperate. Um, on, off, on, off. I'd try a longer, I'd reinstate and then try a longer taper. My GP um, then put me on clonopin. Now I'm trying to taper the clonopin because it's longer lasting. Eventually I go to acupuncture. The acupuncturist is like, I can't even get needles in you. You're, you're vibrating. And I, I have a meltdown. I tell her what's going on. She's like, you need to call call my doctor. My doctor is great. She'll know what to do. You're in withdrawal. They did this to you. So it's an action acupuncturist who's like, they did this. Wow. Um, and I call her doctor and her doctor is the one that put me on the Prozac and back on the Xanax. Oh, so I had since seen another GP. So they call me, they get me in on an emergency basis. I go see her. She's like, okay, yeah, you're addicted. Again, nobody is saying the word dependent. Um, she's like, you're addicted. And now I don't know what to do with you. Go see the psychiatrist. She'll know what to do. I'm like, can she work with this Ashton manual? She's like, bring it to her. I trust that she can help you. I don't know what to do with you at this point. So basically exactly like what you said, got me hooked. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, go away you're too big of a case. Yeah. Um, so I call that psychiatrist. She's not taking new patients. They put me with her colleague. Her colleague normally works with children, which I didn't know at the time. And her, I go see the colleague. I'm like, yes, finally, I bring the Ashton manual. She wants to do a whole history. We do a, an intake. I'm like, my history is not, I'm not here for that. I just need to get off this drug. And she literally laughs. She literally laughs and says, your problem is that you're just upset that you're going to need to be on medication for the rest of your what life. What the fuck? I'm, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm still waiting for my Nobel Peace Prize for not going across the desk uh -huh. and strangling her. especially Slicing that, that bitch up. I get I it. Yeah. Slap <laughs> that bitch up. I was like. 
I just, I, I, I like flabbergasted. I'm rarely at a loss for words. And but it's I so, it seems, Amy, this seems so extremely, this is like trauma on trauma on trauma. I mean, you've been mm -hmm. through it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was just totally layered at that point. And I'm working with therapists who, oh, therapists tend to work with psychiatrists. And I was being told that there was no way out of this without medication. There was no way to survive the trauma that I've lived through without medication. And my body was telling me like, I don't want medication. I can't do this. So it felt very, very, very desperate and very dark. So did they kind of like brush off the Asher manual? Like we don't want to yeah, read that? She, oh. Yes. Yeah. She was like, you need clonopin. You're going to have to stay on it. Let's increase your dose. So I'm like, Wow. All right, whatever, you crazy bitch. I'm the crazy one. So um, I get back to, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get on a dose that stabilizes me and try to stay on this stabilizing dose while I search for information. And I'm telling you, somebody once said in a, in a support group who had abused benzos, and that's how they became affected by it. There's a reason that we don't buy clonopin on the streets, and it's because that shit is nasty. Mm -hmm. So on the clonopin, I start within a week, burning skin, like burning, and it's the underneath of my skin. And the second I quit taking, or the second it wears off, it would be right at the five-hour mark every day. It would wear off, and I would instantly feel suicidal. Right. Like someone just flipped a page in a book. So I look up the side effects and it says, these are serious side effects. Call your doctor right away if you experience suicidal thoughts or burning sensations. So I call the doctor, she won't call me back. She's like, this is just, she literally just thinks I'm, I don't know, tweaking out on the, like I'm just naturally this crazy. But so I was like, no, 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 no. It says right here that I need to call you. Right. But hold on a second, because you go in there with armed with Yasha manual, which basically says use Valium to taper. They just didn't want to give you the Valium. They just forced the clonopin on you. So they, yeah, she forced the clonopin on me and brushed off the Ashton manual and was like, you're not going to get through the rest of your life because of your childhood abuse without drugs. Even though up to that point I had, I mean, I was here and there and needing it, but um, I was in no way ever what destabilized me and traumatized me the most in my adult life was this experience. Because I can imagine, so basically they are kind of almost like commanding you to be on clonopin for the rest of your life whilst you come in there saying, I want to get fucking off this drug. And they just want to you. And not only that, in the, in the dangerous side effects, I'm experiencing a couple of them. And then it's interesting because it does say, call your doctor. You call the doctor. She doesn't call you back. Anything else happened with that? I eventually found another psychiatrist who a client of mine, I told, I opened up to him about what was going on. Um, and then I had to take months off work. I couldn't work. Um, this was very traumatizing to my ex-husband, despite everything, you know, I, part of me was like, he deserves to be traumatized, but 
not in this respect. Um, it was very traumatizing to him. It was very traumatizing to my son because I was so destabilized. I'm dry, waking up every morning, dry heaving, sweating, crying, just the, you know, you've been there and the desperation mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. so intense. So I seek out another psychiatrist. Now I'm speed dating doctors once again. So I go to the psychiatrist. I'm like, this is what's happening. I want to get off this drug. Can you help me follow the Ashton manual? And he says one thing that I agree with and everything else I was like, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> he said, these drugs are poison for you and you need to be off of them. And I was like, hell yeah, you're my guy. Uh -huh. Let's do this. But he just wants me cold turkey. What? Okay. Everything that's happening to you is because of what happened to you early in your life. Oh, yeah. That same old story. Okay. I'm like, but I wasn't like this for 40 years prior to this. I wasn't like this. I was anxious, but I lived my life every day. But, you know, he has his opinion that he would like for you to cold turkey, but obviously you weren't going to do that. So did you tell him, like, I'm not going to do cold turkey or did you? I was turkey? like, not only am I not going to cold turkey, I want my money back because he made me pay him cash or he made me pay him like going into the appointment. And I'm like, only McDonald's makes you do that shit. Only McDonald's makes you pay before you get, you know what I mean? If you go right. to a nice high end meal, you don't pay until after you're done. Right. And when I go to any other doctor, I don't pay till after I'm done. And this guy was in a very affluent area and had quite a reputation. And now looking back, I'm like, well, there's a reason you must take money from people before the appointments because you must disappoint on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, I want my money back. And he wouldn't. Now, now I'm crazy. Now I'm marked. You know, now I'm I've got the scarlet letter because I would dare to speak back to uh, an old white male psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, so um, more months goes by and I don't remember how, I don't even remember how I finally came across this psychiatrist website. I live right outside of Chicago and he's, he at the time was the only person around in or around Chicago, which is a big city that would taper value. Right. So I find him, I get in there um, he knows the Ashton manual. He has a support group. He tapered, we, we start tapering. He stabilizes me on, I think I was, it was like 15 milligrams of Valium. Um, and what was going on in that interim was like, I mean, utter chaos, daily, utter meltdowns, um, shaking. I couldn't work, crying, um, throwing up. I could barely eat. I was like 115 pounds. It was, it was, it was bad fucking news. Mm. Um, it was hell. I mean, it was absolute hell on earth and just feeling like so suicidal all the time. So it was such a relief to get in there and be like, finally. So it was nine months from the time it all started until I found this doctor. Right. So I get on the Valium, I stabilize, I'm working again. I hate how it makes me feel, but it's still way better than what I was feeling. 
the taper goes pretty smoothly. I cut a little bit. I think I was cutting a quarter of a milligram every two weeks. And then I would hold, because I would always feel it within 72 hours. I would feel it. I'd be okay. And then the 72 hour mark would hit. And then I would hold until I felt stable again. And then I would cut again. Right. So I do that until, and life is pretty status quo. By that time, my ex-husband and I had kind of worked things out. Um, I mean, it was still tense. I felt like I never trusted him again. But it was status quo that, you know, enough that we could raise our kid. Um, so you were functional during this taper? I was part functional. Of the taper. Okay, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, see, I wasn't crazy. It was totally fucking medically induced. Right, right. So, um, how long did your taper last? I tapered for a year. And when I got to the four milligram mark, I went off the side of a cliff, which makes sense because that's under the, the therapeutic dose. Five milligrams is the therapeutic dose. So I get to four milligrams and long story, even longer, I never stabilize. I never stabilized after that. Um, and I couldn't hold at that point and keep going because it was like I would I couldn't hold and stabilize. I would just I was just destabilized no matter what. So it would actually get worse if I tried to hold it. Does that make sense? Right. So it does. It does. Definitely. No, it does make sense. Like, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of people get in very shitty situations where you know, um, for me, long holding seems to work, but not for everyone. And for some people, right. it's just a fucked up ride and it's horrible. And yeah, and then they need to get off because it's the only way out. Um, but right. there's a lot of suffering involved. Um, right. So how did you ditch the last four milligrams? Did you do like a water titration or? No, I, um, I did a liquid one. This doctor was willing to prescribe liquid Valium. Mm -hmm. And I had a really little syringe and I, it would be like 0.1 milliliters or 0.1 cc. So I would just cut that little bit like every 10 days. And from that time on, my status never changed. I would occasionally feel a little bit better, but I wasn't working. I went back to not working and I was very suicidal and I put myself in the psych ward twice during that time because I didn't know what else to do. I was the acesthesia set in. Mm -hmm. That's when I got that. And it was just daily pacing. And, and you've been there, you know, I describe it as anyone who's had restless legs knows like how maddening that feeling is. Mm -hmm. Now imagine it's your whole body. It's your whole nervous system. Yep. And it's also mental i was like even my soul feels like itchy um just to be alive was absolute torment so i would wake up i would start dry heaving or throwing up i would pace i would sweat i would rock back and forth on the floor um you know it's it, I lack words and I have a pretty good vocabulary and I'm a good talker, but I lack words to describe the hell. There um, aren't words. There's nothing no. in the dic dictionary that describes this. It, uh, no. The best word is perpetual hell. 
something like that. I was like, I'm licking Satan's toilet. <laughs> yeah. 24 seven. Yeah. So, um, Stevie Nicks, you know, the famous singer, um, uh -huh. went through, Clon she went through Clonopin yeah. and she said, it's as though someone kicked the doors to hell wide open and shoved me in. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty accurate description. I've been to hell. The Bible's right. There is weep, weeping and gnashing of teeth, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, amongst other things. So I, 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 th I would, I always like argue that if you haven't been through benzo withdrawal, it's such an otherworldly experience that you cannot explain it. And no. it's not you. It's not you that wants to die, but the suffering is like so fucking intense that you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna live through the day. This is just right. torture, unending. Right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's and it's very traumatizing to us and the people around us. I mean, we lose friends, we lose jobs, we lose marriages. It's a catastrophe. It's a it's a fucking catastrophe. And not only for us, the patients or whatever you want to call us, victims, um, but everyone around us, you know, partners, children, parents, whoever, this affects everyone. Except for Absolutely. the fucking doctors that did it that did this to us, unfortunately. I, absolutely they get to walk away scot-free mm -hmm. and it's fucking bullshit and i'm never gonna stop talking about this until either i die or something changes and so, i thank you for that so tell us so you got off um you you just stated that you never really stabilized um when did you jump how long was this ago it was july of 2015 okay right around um 4th of july here in the states so that's always a big patriotic deal so I've and heard. i remember going yeah um i remember going to our 4th of july i was like laying on the couch and i've made myself go to the 4th of july parade i was just trying to live in little bits here and there where i could mm -hmm. um and that went on i didn't feel any better and I didn't really feel any worse until I'd say it was about six weeks after, after my taper was completely over and I jumped and I was experiencing windows. It, and I'm telling you that the existential terror that I felt all day, every day and into the night because I couldn't sleep. All of a sudden, one day it was like, a, a switch flipped and I was like, oh, I'm okay. Uh -huh. I'm okay. So those are, you know, I experienced a window. Um, so the windows and waves came and went and it was about, I might have a window for a few days and then I'd have two weeks of shit show mm -hmm. and then a window for four days and then, you know, maybe 13 days of the shit show. So it went on like that for 18 months after my taper. So, okay. um, and then at, at the 18 month mark, I was mostly better, very traumatized though, by the whole thing. I felt like a brand new baby deer that had just been born. Like I'm trying to step back into life with these weak little legs. Everything was just so, you know, too bright, too loud, too fast. Mm -hmm. um, I'd kind of had to live in a cocoon the best I could. And now I'm like, dare I feel happy? Dare I be okay? 
because um, that threat of it, the threat of the wave coming back is you never know when. There's no rhyme or reason and no one can tell you shit about it except exactly. other people who have been there. And luckily, just on social media, I, I got out of Benzo Buddies because it was so scary. Dark. And heavy and dark. Yeah. And, and I formed, I didn't form it, but there was a... a Facebook support group and there was a gentleman who was kind of mediating the whole thing and he found like five of us women from across the world that were all about the same point and he kind of connected all of us and we stayed in contact all day every day two of us had to go into the psych ward once or more and that's really what got me through, honestly, was just knowing I wasn't alone and knowing I wasn't crazy and hearing from this guy that it would get better. And he even took the time to speak to my then husband, like, hey, she's going to oh, get better. Crazy. I know this is hard on you. Hang in there. And it's really been like the help of strangers. So the fact that you're doing this is such a gift such a gift um i would not have made it without it so now i have made the commitment to continue telling my story assuring people they're going to be okay making myself available for people to reach out um so, oh, so sweet and thank the you waves and windows came and went yeah thank you um at the 24 month mark i went i had a horrific wave after two years month mark after six months. Oh, or sorry. This is, yes. So, yeah, after, yes, that went on for 18 months. Um, I had six months where I was mostly okay. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm back in the saddle. 24 months hit, horrible wave. And I think some of it was like, I didn't know that could happen. So I felt very, very, very hopeless. And there wasn't a lot of talk out there about the fact that this could hit you again at the 24 month mark. It's generally six months, nine months, 12 months, 24 months, and then 36 and 48. And I know Jennifer Lee had some of this happen to her too. She, yeah, I, I've had her on the she show. She, me she mentioned it. Yeah. Oh, she helped you. Cool. She helped me too. A, a couple of the people, Chris Page is someone I, I reached out to. So it's just such an amazing thing that you've created where these people that helped me are now, I'm hearing them on your show. It's just, it, I get emotional about it. Oh, oh thank you. Um, it's it's still bizarre. It's still sur surreal to me what Benzo Tired has become over time. Cause it was basically, it started out as a blog, as you will. Yeah, um, yeah. And now I've had so many awesome people on. Unfortunately, I, I'm still on five milligrams of Valium and um, I'm not sure when I'm gonna taper. So I wish I could have done an episode like, hey, I got off guys and I'm all good, bye. But not yet, not yet, but who knows in the future. So but I think the brilliance of what you're doing that is way different than anything else available is that you're doing it. You're doing this show or you're doing this podcast while you go through it. That's really powerful because everything I've ever read is stuff that by people that are better now and not someone who's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to trap this while I go through it with you. Like let's hold hands and get through this dark, value together definitely definitely sometimes it's very vulnerable because i did one episode where i had to updose because of seizure so that was an intense episode but it's like super real it's like this is mm -hmm. happening you know this happened right. um right. 
so yeah, I think it's 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 been a gift and meeting people like yourself and all these amazing people. Um, unfortunately, you know, we've all been wronged. It's a horrible yeah. experience, but um, I think we do connect um, amongst ourselves because only we know what this is like. Absolutely, yeah. So after the 24 month uh, mark, what happened? So I was spiraling again. It was very much like previously. Um, and I sought out a neuropsychiatrist because I too was having seizures, but didn't know that that's what was happening. So um, they were like these little mini seizures I, and they're not convulsion seizures. I don't know what yours were like. Mine were like, I would stiffen up, nothing would make sense. Um, the left side of my body would get weak and go kind of numb. And then I would kind of snap out of it, but I would be like nauseous and disoriented for hours after. So I sought out a neuropsychiatrist and I thought, well, if I'm just crazy, he'll know. And if this is actually a seizure, I'll know. Um, so I go to this neuropsychiatrist and he ended up, well, first I went to the hospital that that neurologist was extremely condescending and was like, no, there's no way that this drug did this to you. Cause I explained it all to him and went on to say, um, this is a psychiatric problem, but put me in the hospital, monitored me, but it was like two days after the episode that I had that sent me there and they couldn't really find anything. Right. So when it happened again, I sought out this neuropsychiatrist, um, went to see him and I was kind of afraid to explain to him what was going on in his office. He had this weird pattern in his carpet and he kept saying, I notice you won't look down. And I said, I, I'll be honest, it's totally fucking with my eyes. And this is what keeps happening. So he has me describe the episodes to him and he said, you, th that's a seizure you are having a seizure. I know I didn't test you. I will get the pro appropriate testing done, but I'm telling you that's what's happening to you. And I said, it was from this drug. This never happened to me before. And he said, it's an iatrogenic illness and you could go on to continue having seizures. And he put me on a very small dose of Tegretol, which helps things calm down, help me sleep, um, I've stayed on that actually. I stayed on that. Um, but just having that validation from somebody in the medical field, I wished I could get it in writing and have it framed. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, I ended up coming across him again later at the 40 month, 48 month mark, but that's, that's what helped me, um, immensely. And, and would you say now, um, are you like fully recovered? Do you still have some lingering symptoms? Do you have bind? I would say I have put the idea of being my nerve, my neurological system being a hundred percent recovered. I've put that out of my mind. Is it, is what I have now livable? Yes. I work full time. I'm a single mom. Um, what I do is very physical and mental. So I'm able to do it. I've learned to live my life in a way that supports me. I've learned the tools to recover from complex PTSD and I have the appropriate 
care. Um, so I'm living in a way that's happier and I, I have agency for myself. I have a voice and I'm happier and more comfortable in my skin than before I ever took a benzo. Has every symptom I've ever had gone away? No, but I've also, I don't want that to scare people. It's all very livable, but I've also had a very different experience. You know, I've- Yeah, we always say that like everyone's experience is so unique and so different. Um, uh, we don't want to scare people because, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen to people. Absolutely. So what I always ask at the end of an episode is if people are listening currently in withdrawal, what would you advise them? I would advise them to reach out either to you. Um, I can be found on social media to someone like Chris Page to find support. You are going to get better. It may take time. It may take trying a lot of different things as far as lifestyle changes, but you will get better. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Okay. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash